Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Wednesday, March 8th. In recognition of International Women's Day, we explore the challenges facing women in politics. We speak with Melissa Hausman, Professor of Political Science from Carleton University, and hear why she describes female politicians as walking a gendered tightrope. Still on the topic of International Women's Day, personal hygiene products for women and children are often in high demand and obviously very important, but these items are often overlooked during charitable drives. Details on how you can help remedy the issue with Jessica Thurow, founder of an organization called Souls for Sisters. And finally, our on-air contributor Dave McIver explores the film and TV boom currently happening in our city, which includes the hit HBO series The Last of Us, which was shot on location in and around Calgary. Dave catches up with Luke Alzevedo, Operations and Film Commissioner from Calgary Economic Development, to talk about the uptick in Hollywood productions being done here. Women in Alberta seem to be dominating the political landscape of late, but being a woman in politics comes with definite challenges. How can we encourage more young women to enter the political arena? To talk about it this morning, we're joined by Melissa Hausman, Professor of Political Science at Carleton University. Good morning to you, Professor. Thanks for your time this morning. Good morning. Thank you. What would you say some of the specific challenges are for women in politics these days? Well, they're basically competing in a system that they did not create. The system was created over the decades and centuries by men with access to the resources and power that were deemed important. So in essence, women are competing on new and different turf and having to persuade colleagues that they are just as qualified and credentialed and have all the requisite characteristics that make for a very representational legislature. Professor, when we talk about the challenges, not just you know, in politics, but in the workplace that women have faced over the years, are they, are the, do the challenges remain the same or have they evolved in time? Or, and what I'm getting at is, is the goalpost moved uh, year after year and decade after decade? Are they the exact same challenges? Well, I think it's a bit of both, really. On one hand, we know that the really obvious sorts of things have been addressed by legislation so that things that say workplaces and legislatures, but workplaces in particular, uh, and legislatures, of course, as workplaces, they couldn't do 20 years ago. They can't overtly discriminate in the same ways, although in terms of nominations and election funding and support, unfortunately, they can still discriminate. Um, But then there's, of course the terrain has moved to the more subtle forms of discrimination and again those in power don't really want to give it up and yield to new and different groups because they see it as a zero-sum game you know the people who have held the reins of power don't want to admit new and different groups because they fear losing their power and prestige you describe women in politics as walking the gendered tightrope can you explain what walking the gendered tightrope means (laughs) Sure. So I've got a book coming out with my co-author, Karen Kodrowski from Iowa State, this coming summer. And we looked at the challenges, mainly intra-party, within-party, facing both uh, recent House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and recent Prime Minister Theresa May uh, as they sought to do their party's bidding and to pass certain legislative proposals that the parties said they wanted. And so, again, there's still the residual hostility 
on the one hand, the parties want to nominate women and present themselves as being new and different and, frankly, 21st century creatures that have overcome everything. But then when push comes to shove and, you know, the rubber meets the road and using all those different analogies, basically, at the end of the day, the guys who have controlled the parties in particular get together and say, well, she can't really handle it. She's no good. Um, If we look at, for example, some of the electoral campaigns against Pelosi, particularly um, in the midterm election of 2018, we know that there were thousands of images that were used against her, including very violent ones um, and the worst possible sorts of pictures and all sorts of, you know, claims of lack of patriotism and all that. So. It's a long answer, but basically residual hostility. And in terms of both Pelosi and May as as leaders, you know, they were selected by their parties to do the jobs and they worked as hard as they could. Now, Pelosi had a lot of tools as House Speaker that May, in fact, did not have. But at the end of the day, Pelosi saw a lot of challenges from within her party, particularly the Um, Democratic Leadership Council holdovers in Congress who thought that they would be better speakers than she would, including Tim Ryan from Ohio. Um, And May's party was really split by the whole Brexit issue and the whole issue about being in the EU with which the Conservative Party in the UK has wrestled really for decades since the 1940s. So Again, at the end of the day, residual hostility is expressed through party rules and abilities to challenge leaders. Speaking with Melissa Hausman, professor, political science at Carleton University and professor from a systemic perspective, what can be done to increase the representation of women in politics? Is this something that has to happen much earlier as far as, you know, parents talking to their preteen girls or teen girls or within the school system? How do we bring those numbers up? All of the above. I can talk about my own history. I mean, I, I'm I'm from the U.S. and um, truth and advertising. I grew up in a Republican family in Massachusetts, although of course I switched my party affiliation in my 20s. But seeing my parents, they were both active in the New England town meeting. I later got elected in a couple of towns to the New England town meeting. Um, they worked on campaigns. I later worked on campaigns, but. Yes, I mean, certainly it's helpful for young folks to grow up in families where there is political engagement and interest, no matter what party they happen to be. But since many kids don't grow up in those families, yes, it is vitally important that um, programs be addressed in the schools. I know, for example, that many women parliamentarians, and I assume members of provincial legislatures, go into schools to give talks to directly show young women this is what a female politician looks like this is how much fun it is this is what i can do with my career and uh, you should do the same Um, in my classes i always tell students encourage students to get involved in politics because yes we can talk about all this stuff in classrooms but it's just so much different when one is out talking to constituents and campaigning and seeing these things in real life. So yes, one of the avenues certainly is to show young women and um, 
you know, young men of different persuasions and of young women and men of diverse backgrounds that politics is a very honorable and viable career and it has a huge impact on everything people's lives. People don't often realize how important politics is, but it's vital. And then, of course, we get into other levels, such as the systemic level, in which the single-member district system, many people feel, does not represent them because basically a bare plurality is required to win, and sometimes people won't vote or get active because they don't feel their activity makes a difference. And, again, that's probably something that's far off in the future, if ever, of being changed, but it can be done. Um, Mexico has brought about reforms where they have a system that's mixed member proportional, which is something Canada thought about doing, in which there are districts combined um, between single member and then also party list um, districts. That's something to think about. But, you know, the bottom line is we have a lot of room for improvement and we can work at all different levels, but certainly socialization of young people that politics can be inclusive and is vitally important. Those sorts of things are are crucial. Thank you so much for your time and joining the conversation on this International Women's Day. Really appreciate it this morning. Thank you. Thank you very much. Melissa Hausman, Professor of Political Science at Carleton University. A Calgary organization is celebrating International Women's Day with a program called Souls for Sisters Drive. Joining us with all the details is Jessica Thurow, founder of Souls for Sisters and partner at Calgary-based employee benefits and estate planning organization, Coulard Group. Good morning, Jessica. Thanks for being with us. Good morning. I appreciate you having me on. Tell us a little bit about what your organization is doing on this important day and beyond. Sure, yeah. So, you know, we um, heard that the Heart and Home Network had this need for basic personal hygiene items for women um, and their families who are fleeing domestic abuse. So we thought that there was an incredible opportunity for our firm, Cooler Group, to partner with Parker PR, who is a boutique public relations firm, to support the Heart and Home Network through our Soldier Sisters Drive. Yeah, you're accepting donations. You mentioned hygiene products, but can we get specific, uh, Jessica, and, and give us some of these products that people can, can gather or purchase today at the stores yeah. to help out? Absolutely. So we're going to have a full list on our Instagram and LinkedIn, which I'll share with you. But some of the items that we're looking for are women's deodorant, razors, shampoo and conditioner, tampons and sanitary napkins, uh, and size five and six diapers. I think it's important that we talk about this because, you know, uh, you mentioned Home Heart Network, formerly known as the Brenda Strafford Society for the Prevention of Domestic Violence. These are women and children who are fleeing terrible situations. And the last thing you think about, for example, is, you know, bringing tampons or pads with you. So it is one of those kind of forgotten things that we need to think about for these women who've been placed and, and removed from terrible situations, right? Yeah, we totally agree. And we really feel... Um, you know, for these women who are trying to get them out of, of themselves out of these really challenging and dangerous situations, it's really hard to do that if you don't have your basic needs met. So we really wanted to help support that Heart Home Network to fill those needs for these women so that they can be empowered to get themselves to a safer situation. All right, so I'm looking at the calendar, kicking off today, going right through till March, uh, end of March rather. So so where do we yes. drop them off and, and how can we get some more information surrounding this, Jessica? Yeah, so we're, of course, like you said, we're um, accepting donations starting today for International Women's Day all the way through till March 30th. 
and we'll be delivering the items to the Heart Home Network on March 31st. And so people can drop off items at our office with Goulard Group, and that address is 999 8th Street Southwest, or at the Parker PR office, which is 1122A Kensington Road Northwest. And if people are looking for more information on the full list of items that we're looking for, they can go to our Instagram account today, which is at Coulard Group. And that is C-O-U-I-L-L-A-R-D Group. And all the information will be posted there today. Jessica, is this as much about collecting these important items as sort of getting the word out about um, you, you know, what you're doing in terms of the uh, heart health, uh, home heart network and et cetera, and just sort of the situation that we're still seeing so many women be put in? Yes, and I think it's just so important to bring that awareness to all of us here in Calgary that, you know, in our local community here, there are a lot of women and families struggling um, to provide those basic needs and basic safety for their families. So I think it's so important that we all are aware and remember that and do what we can to support our community. Excellent. Thank you so much for doing what you do. We're going to direct people to coulard.ca. That's www.couillard.ca. Thanks, Jessica. Thank you so much for helping us bring awareness for this. I appreciate it. Thank you. That is Jessica Thoreau, Souls for Sisters founder and partner at Coulard Group. In the recent UCP budget, the Alberta government announced a $100 million tax credit for the Alberta film and television industry. Dave McIver dove into what started this boom in our province and the benefits that are being reaped from welcoming massive projects like that fantastic TV show we're all into, The Last of Us, and what it all does for the communities in our area. The Last of Us is one of the biggest shows on television and Albertans have taken a lot of pride in seeing places they have been to or recognize on TV. People have gone as far as making social media accounts to point out exactly where shots were taken and maps are available to visit places you see on the show. So how did our Canadian province become so attractive to such big productions? Luke Azevedo is the Vice President of Creative Industries, Operations and Film Commissioner with Calgary Economic Development. He says it goes back to something done by the government in 2021. As of March of uh, of 2021, uh, the Minister of Culture or the Minister of Jobs, Economy and Innovation um, made a commitment to remove the per project cap that we had on our incentive here, on our tax credit incentive. What that did is that made us almost immediately nationally and internationally competitive. Everything started to look at us. Uh, The cap really did have uh, a hinge whether or not HBO could make the decision to come here because of the size and scope of the project, as well as other productions that were starting to look at us, um, large budget productions that had these outcomes um, that were looked fantastic to us and that we wanted to be part of, but how do we ensure that we could accommodate? There's reasons that people come to areas, and we have uh, some very specific ones leading up to this time that we're in right now. First and foremost, our vistas, you know, the mountains, the, the badlands, the prairies, the foothills, and two municipalities of over a million people, all within a three-hour radius. So globally and geographically, that's very unique. So there is opportunities there. Um, you know, firstly, and uh, in, in every jurisdiction, it's the quality of the people that are working in, in the sector. So uh, crew base and talent in this uh, this province in front and behind the camera 
are world-class. Thirdly, what comes into play is, you know, you start talking about um, infrastructure, right? So what does that look like to us and how, you know, how positive is it? Well, we've seen a huge uh, change in our infrastructure environment here. There was a point in time not that long ago that you had one purpose-built facility, which was the Calgary Film Centre, and then you went into warehouses and you were retrofitting warehouses all of the time, and they were going away as soon as the production was done. Well, that's changed drastically. We've seen now about 750,000 square feet, all-inclusive. There is two new purpose-built facilities at, at Rocky Mountain um, Film Studios that are coming online here this month, which are going to really enhance our ability uh, to be seen globally as a location of choice. With productions doubling to $522 million in Alberta in 2021, the province was then named one of the best places to work in the film industry in 2022. And not only is the industry creating jobs, the money that is infused into towns and communities from these productions have a direct impact on the people living there. High River Mayor Craig Snodgrass can attest to that. In episode three, that's that whole neighborhood that was built in that Beechwood area. Everything tastes good when you're starving. Yeah, but not like this. <laughs> My God. You know, when they came in and wanted to wanted to use that and they wanted to give back to the town financially for the use of that, and and they gave us a lot of money to be able to use that, and and uh, we were able to put that back that money back into. Uh, one, a, a playground project at the elementary school just over here. And and then we also uh, helped a group of citizens finish up uh, building a pump track for the kids. So, you know, that the money that comes from these industries is not just employment and, you know, they rent equipment from our rental places and, you know, eating at our coffee shops and the restaurants and those kinds of things. It's not just that, it's... Um, they inject money directly into this community and, and stuff that we don't, um, we're very disciplined with it, that that money isn't just going to go into general revenue and pay for garbage pickup. That's, that's, uh, that's going to be fun money that we can give back to the kids or different community projects that, that are needed. With many projects already greenlit and others we haven't quite heard about yet, it does seem the future is bright for the industry and the province. We know about uh, the thicket. We know about um, Wind River 2. We know about, uh, you know, the offer. All of these things that have been out there. But we also want to talk about, you know, these long-term productions and these repeat productions that are here. Um, you know, hoping to see uh, high school back, uh, hoping to see our 17th season of Heartland. So we've got some, you know, and then there's projects that we can't talk about yet because we're still in the, the process. But I can tell you right now, the amount of attention that we're getting paid on us here, the start to this year, and what we hope will be a long-term, um, you know, positive relationship between the film sector and our economy and our job creation. Um, you know, there's lots of opportunities here that we continue to see grow. We want to bring the spotlight to Alberta in a positive manner, and the world is recognizing that. For QR Calgary, I'm Dave McIver.